All right, all right. Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt, and again, want to welcome you to any of our services in our six physical locations. I know many of you are also watching online, on demand, whenever you can and wherever you're at. So just thank you so much for joining us. We're in this series called Dangerous Prayers. Before we jump into this, I just want to remind everybody, hopefully by now you, what I'm about to say is not news to you, but we are really planning a way to have a massive impact in all six of our physical locations with our Serve the City initiative. You can go to the website and find specific opportunities in or around you. Or if you want to go serve in a different location, we're one church in multiple locations, that's fine too. I just want to challenge, encourage, ask you to pray, number one, and then give at least an hour. Everybody can find an hour, something you can do and where you can help us make an impact. Our ability to go overseas has been diminished with uh, travel restrictions, but our ability to have an impact has not been diminished because of where God has placed us. So just want to encourage you to be a part of Serve the City. Now, as we transition in, in, into Dangerous Prayers Part 7, uh, there's a word or a couple of words that I think for most of us kind of make, uh, make us nervous, right? The word would be like inspection. Hey, I'm going to inspect. I'm going to check this out. Or like if, if you heard, hey, you're going to get audited by the IRS, nobody's like applauding that, right? Nobody's like getting excited about that. I, I remember <clears throat> like when I was in the Navy, so this is the summer of 93, and it was like my first ever uh, room inspection. I had two other roommates, and you've heard of the military and the white glove thing. You may not have heard of the black sock thing, okay? So this sock, by the way, I have, I've, I have not folded a sock the way the Navy required us to in 20 years. This was my first try. It's got to have a little smile in it, right? You know? So anyway, so I'm all, we're all prepping for this room inspection, summer of 93, Annapolis, Maryland. And I'm thinking, man, we got this. We got this. You know, you're still nervous because it's your first one. You know, I knew about the whole white glove thing. I didn't know about the black sock thing. So anyway, the upperclassmen, juniors, seniors, they come into our room, and I'm like, man, we got this. It quickly became relevant that, or apparent that we did not have this. And this guy grabs a black sock, walks into our shower, and this sock turns white with soap scum. And he's like, y'all failed, and dropped the sock and walked out, you know. And I'm like, Wow. You know, a white, uh, the black sock in the shower thing. I mean, I don't know how clean your shower is. You know, we don't do this in my house anymore. My, my kids wouldn't like that. And so I had to, I had to figure out, you know, how are we going to get rid of that amount of soap scum? I mean, three dudes in, you know, Annapolis, Maryland, pretty hot, pretty humid, showering a couple of times a day. So to pass inspection, right, I had to figure out how to pass the black socks thing. And it involved pledge and furniture polish and some other things, tricks to the trade. But the point of, the, the point of that is nobody gets excited about inspection inspection or audit because of what it might reveal about us, about our money, about our health, about, you know, when the dentist says, let me have a look, when the doctor says, let me run some tests. I mean, nobody's applauding that. And, and then, then I, we run into scripture, and y'all talked, some of you that were here last week, you talked about this scripture. We run into a scripture like Psalm 139, 24, where it says, see if there's any offensive way in me. This is a prayer to God. And it says, lead me in the everlasting way. And it's interesting because he's saying, God, you inspect me. You look at me. You look at my life, and is there any sin, anything offensive to you? God, I want you to point that out. And, and I think all of us, you know, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, checking out church, coming back to church, wherever you're at in your journey, we would recognize this is kind of a dangerous prayer, right? Because we're inviting 
God, we're inviting an inspection. We're inviting a look at, our, at, at what's going on in our life, our heart, our character. And, and so let me just ask this question before we get to the dangerous prayer that we're going to focus on. What's your strategy to deal with sin in your life? Because a, a biblical writer, their strategy was to invite God to be a part of the process. But what's our strategy? And, and all of us kind of, you got a strategy whether you know it or not. You, because all, all of us know, you know, there's, there's parts of our life that don't match up that aren't where they need to be. If, if you doubt that, just ask the person you're with, your spouse or something, they'll tell you, you know. But all of us have to have a strategy to deal with sin. And, and, and some of our strategies, are, it has nothing to do with God. It's like, hey, I've got to clean myself up before I come to God. Some of us just compare ourselves to other people. And our strategy is, hey, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Some of us, you know, we're like, well, nobody's perfect. And I think God understands. And we put a bumper sticker on our car that says Christians are perfect, just forgiven. There's a half truth to that. And, and then some of us, we redefine the rules or, and we make it sort of relative and, and we, we just sort of adjust what it is. But all of us have a, some kind of sin strategy in our life. And my question is, does our strategy match the biblical one? Does our strategy match the biblical one? And then let's go a step further and let, let's look at the meat of our, the, the main passage for this week, which is going to be in Psalm 19. And at the end of this passage, David prayers sort of an equivalent to Psalm 139, 24. And here's what he says. And this is crazy to me. When if I'm just reading this, this is crazy because we don't talk about this. We don't sing about this. We don't like to, you know, if you go to a small group and say, hey, tell me what sin you're struggling with. It's like crickets in the room, right? And then, but in the word of God, it says this, who perceives his unintentional sins? Meaning there's sins that I commit that I don't intend to commit. Cleanse me from my hidden faults. David's like, hey God, there's parts of me that I don't know are wrong, but I know, you know, that you see it differently. And I want you to get rid of that stuff. That means for all of us sitting here today, there's things we're doing that we don't know are wrong or we're not aware we're doing them or we've got a blind spot. And David's like, no, I want that out. I want that removed. And then he goes, moreover, keep your servant from willful, willful sins or presumptuous sins or besetting sins. Hey, I, things that I do that I know are wrong, but I still do them anyway. He says, would you get, help me get rid of that, God? Do not let them rule over me. And, and I read that and I'm like, man, who prays that way? Now, yeah, you may get close if you get caught or have a consequence, right? But who dangerously invites God to take that black sock, right? The white glove, the magnifying glass and say, God, I've got blind spots. Point out where I'm offensive to you. Point out where I'm wrong. God, there's things I do that I know are wrong, but I do them anyway. Help me with that. And he, and he says, here's the goal. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. And then he says, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable. Some translations say pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And, and, I, and I'm looking at that. And I'm like, God, I don't, that's just, that's just dangerous. And I think we know why it's dangerous the same reason it would be dangerous if you got audited, right? The same reason it's dangerous for me in the summer of 93 to have an upperclassman with a black sock and a white glove. The same reason it's dangerous when the doctor says, hey, I'm going to run some tests, not sure what we're going to find. We understand that it's dangerous. 
But here's the prayer. Let me put it in the form of a prayer. God, help me take all sin seriously. Here's what I know. You take some sin seriously. You take some sin seriously in your life, and you take some sin seriously in other people's lives, especially if that sin is against you. But God, help me to take all sin seriously, and God, deliver it from me completely. Don't let me say uh, nobody's perfect and you understand. God, don't let me say Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Deliver it from me completely. And may I be fully pleasing to you. Another way, a shortened way to say this is, God, help me in holiness. The word holy in Hebrew literally just means to cut or to separate, to just take apart something and make it distinct, make it other, make it separate, make it special, make it unique, make it holy. That's what it means. So, so that's a dangerous prayer. That's a bold prayer. That, that we've all prayed, God, help me prayers. Help me with my finances. Help me with my date. Help me with my marriage. Help me with this decision. But help me, God, in holiness and put it all on the table and invited God to search and cleanse and work with us. That's a dangerous prayer. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I, I wanna, we're going to unpack this because it would, it's hard to pray that prayer and mean it. Is it not? Because, because we, we, it's hard to pray that prayer and mean it. It's hard to pray that prayer and understand what it might take and what it might require. So what I want to do today is, is give you some tools, some resources, and some confidence to pray this prayer and give you some tools and resources to see that while this is, yes, on the surface, a dangerous prayer, it might be the absolute best prayer you could pray. Might be the best prayer you could pray. Now, there's three elements to this prayer that we're going to see. They're this, just as a little bit of a foreshadowing. It involves a vision of God, an invitation from God, and devotion to God. It involves a vision of God, an invitation from God, and a devotion to God. So here's where, here's where we kind of get off, guard, off, off track, off the rail in this discussion of, of sin and behavior. A lot of times our strategy is, well, I need to stop. X or Y, or I need to start doing this or stop doing or whatever. And we look at the behavior. We look at the character trait. I'm impatient. I'm easily agitated. I'm cynical. I'm bitter. Uh, you know, I cuss some, I drink a little too much, you know, opposite sex. Woo, you know, we, we just, we focus on the behavior and let's not do that right now. Let's start with a vision of God, hear an invitation from God, and see if that leads us devotion to God. And then maybe that'll produce in us this desire to come to God and say, God, help me take all sin seriously. Deliver it from me, deliver me from it completely, and then may I be fully pleasing to you. God, help me in holiness. Now, David gets to this prayer after he walks through who God is. So we go to the beginning of Psalm 19, and here's the interesting thing. He doesn't start with, God, help me with my sins. He doesn't start with, God, uh, deliver me from the hidden faults that I have. He starts with, the heavens declare the glory of God. He looks at the heavens, he looks at creation, and he's like, man, God must be awesome. 
God must be amazing. God is holy. Holy means other. God's distinct. Who else could design the heavens? And he goes on, he says, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech and night after night, they communicate knowledge. So David has a view of God that is way bigger than most of our views of God. It's way bigger than the American God. It's way bigger than the one hour a week God. He's way, way bigger than that. And that's where David starts. And and if you go back to Psalm 139, which we looked at last week, he says this about God. He starts with this before he gets to search me and see if there's anything offensive. He says, God, you've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's bigger than me. This massive, awesome, awe-inspiring God is interested in me. This awesome, majestic God who designed the heavens and designed the earth and designed biology and, and all this stuff. This God is now personal to me, and I, I, it's just amazing. And he says, it's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. He says, God, for it was you who created my inward parts. It was you, God, who knit me together in my mother's womb. He says, I will praise you, God, because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. God, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, I am still with you. Now, here's the question. Everybody that's watching, listening here today, you walked in with a view of a vision of God. You you can be an atheist, you can be agnostic, and you got a vision of God. You have a view of God, right? You could have grown up in church, you have a vision of God. And what we need to see based on the word of God, is before we're going to be able to take sin seriously, we've got to see God correctly. We've got to see God in his distinctness, see God in his holiness, see God in his, the way he's personal with us, the way he's interested in us. We've got to see God correctly. It flows from there. And one of the problems that, that, that plagues my walk with Jesus One of the problems that plagues the the church's witness to Jesus is when we get our view of God distorted or when our view of God gets blurred or our view of God is wrong. Now, what, what would a wrong view of God look like where we reduce God in size? If God is small to you, you wake up and worry and fear and anxiety are always an option. Because there's nothing, you're in control, right? God's not big enough to handle that, so you've got to handle that. God doesn't love you enough to take care of that, so God's too small for that, right? So when God is too small, your problems seem bigger than they are. And your perspective is skewed. Uh, Another wrong view of God that's prevalent today is where we just redefine God. God of my comfort, God, God, I remake God in my image. I remake God in a way that I don't have to adjust to him where the vision of God doesn't lead to my transformation. And I just sort of redefine God on my own terms and God or God is just sort of relative. I mean, if that's who God is to you, that's great. That's kind of Oprah's theology. If that's who God is to you, that man, that's great. You just do you, you do you baby. And, all, and, and so all of those things are wrong views of God that they'll never encourage us to 
to take sin seriously and we'll miss something important that we'll talk about later. So that's the wrong view of God. When when we're getting God right, and and we see in part today, we don't see in full, nobody sees God perfectly, but when we view God correctly, three things start going up, three things. One, my awe of God. You heard that in the words of David, right? Number two, my affections for God, that I, it is not, I'm I'm afraid of this God. It is a God that I am in love with. It is a God that I welcome into my world. It is a God that I welcome him to refine me and search me. And then I want to align my life with him because he's holy. He's other. He's distinct. Therefore, I need help in holiness because when I grow in holiness, I grow closer to him. Right view of God. Right view of God. So, so a couple of groups of people here today. You, you, when, I, when I start talking about sin, you're there. You're like, yeah, I, I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. So, so let me tell you, m- my advice is this. Stop looking at your sin and get your eyes on Christ. Get your eyes on God. Two of the greatest sinners in Scripture, Peter and Paul. Do you know what got them out of their sin problem? They saw God. Peter, remember, he denied Jesus three times. He's out warming himself by the fire. He's not arrested. He's not about to be crucified. And he's denied Jesus three times. And he's good with it. He's compromised. He's not taking sin seriously. And Jesus looks at him as Jesus is going through one of his his trials before he's killed. Jesus and Peter make eye contact. He sees Jesus and he weeps. Vision of God. Paul, he's going around killing Christians. He's thinking he's doing God's work. He's killing Christians. He's decimating the church. He gets a vision of Jesus on the Damascus road, and he's changed man. He's in love with Jesus. He's in awe of Jesus. He begins to align his life with Jesus. So there's a group of people, when I say take sin seriously, you're there. There's another group of people, and and, and you kind of think you're okay. You kind of think you're good enough, or at least you're better than them. And and here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. Just look at God. Just look at who he is and let's get a correct view of God and then let's move forward. And then let's move forward because here's the the thing. If you are tolerating any form of sin in your life, whether you think it's sin or not, you are robbing yourself of God's best. So, all right, Matt, how do we see God correctly? I'll give you five of the biggest ways, five big ways, right? We heard, we heard this in, David, in David's psalm. We see God in creation. We look at creation. We see how there's order. We see how God created male and female and how God created the skies and biology and ecosystems and beauty and creativity and distinctions. And that tells us some things about God. We see God through his word to us. We'll get to that in just a second. We see God through the cross where Jesus died and the empty tomb where Jesus rose again. We see God in the providences of our lives where, man, how did that happen? And why did that work out the way it did? I just happened to, and this happened to come at the right time. And God showed me and God moved me and God just intervened. And God woke me up and God got my attention. And then in relationships with other people, that's why we emphasize, you know, being in community, being in circles with other believers, with other Christians, that God reveals himself through other people. 
Now, we'll zero in on this one right here and, and, and see this progression of seeing God correctly. So in, in, in Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, David goes from God is this awesome, amazing God. And now he talks about getting, God's, getting a view of God through his word. He says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. That when I, David, it would be like me saying, hey, when I read the Bible, it renews my life. It puts me on the right path. It aligns me with God. It says, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. God's word helps me make wise choices, not bad choices. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. See, there's a group of people here today. And the fact that I even said the word holiness has you nervous. And it's the reason you haven't taken that step to give Jesus the stealing will of your life. Because to you, holiness is a threat to your happiness. And, 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 but I'm just saying I, the, the word of God. And God, it's one way we get to know God is through the word of God. says, no, no, no. God, that'll make your heart glad. And we're like, how does that happen? The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. It's how we see things clearly. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The, the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. And then look at the desire David has. They are more desirable than gold. God, I want your word more than I want the stock market to get better, more than I want my bottom line, my monthly income to grow. More than an abundance of pure gold, sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, by your word. And in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. And so David is just going through this with this view of God. And he's, and he's still moving toward that dangerous prayer of help me in holiness. But, but here's, here's the question that we can stop and ask ourselves. Probably the most important question you and I need to ask ourselves right now. In relation to who God is, who am I becoming? In relation to who God is, who am I becoming? See, all of us are in the process of becoming. We're all moving somewhere. We're all becoming someone. We're all becoming someone. And so in relation to who God is, who am I becoming? And David gets to that dangerous prayer with this recognition. If I am not becoming the type of person who can love and enjoy God, and God is holy, then God's sanctifying, cutting, separating, setting me apart work is needed in my life. And that's why he prays, God, search me and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me and let's get rid of it. That's why he prays, God, get rid of my unintentional sins, get rid of my intentional sins, get rid of my hidden faults. Because he's looking at himself and says, God, in light of who you are and the invitation to be with you, to know you and my affections that are stirred by who you are, God, I want to become the type of person that can love you and enjoy you forever. Now, that's a whole lot different than, hey, don't go to hell, isn't it? That's a whole lot different than, hey, clean up your act, isn't it? See, the church has made a mistake, and it's suffering for it. We've told you, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and we've lost a view of who God is. The thou shalt nots come as a product of who God is. Vision, invitation to know God, and then devotion to God. 
So if we're going to get to that dangerous prayer, let's see a couple of things about holiness. The first thing is this. Holiness is relational and therefore not optional. If I'm going to grow in my ability to know God, enjoy God, and love God forever, and God is holy, and God is amazing, and God is awe-inspiring, then I too have to progress in holiness. Now see, if we just take the word holiness as being set apart, anybody here today, right, who has entered into any kind of relationship understands that relationships produce a form of holiness, right? I mean, when you got married, the things you did as a single person, right, wrong, or indifferent, some of those things had to go away and be removed, right? I mean, you, you just had to change because of why? The relationship. And so you became different. You became distinct because you were in relationship, right? I've told you this story before. I mean, the first time I ever saw a Broadway musical, I didn't want to see it. I had, had no interest in it, right? I'm not an artsy person, right? No interest in it. Why did Matt Evans pay the money, take the time, and sit through it? Because of Beth Evans, right? So I, I set myself apart. I set money apart. I set time apart. It's a form of the word holiness because of the relationship with the woman I love. Right? So we, we went on a vacation, right? My little man, Abraham, right? He decides he wants to take up fishing, right? I don't fish, never have fished. I grew up on water. Don't, you know, I prefer to be skiing rather than fishing. This is him. He caught a little cat. He caught a catfish, right? Uh, I, I don't know who. That, he gets this Alabama junk from his mama, so please, <laughs> we're praying for him. But anyway, so he, he's, got this, uh, he's got this catfish, and so, but he's my son. So what am I doing? I'm getting up early in the morning and driving the 14 miles to the store to buy him bait. Like if you look at my Google News feed right now, you know how Google kind of, your news just for you. One of the things that would show up is information about fishing for catfish and fishing for bass. Why am I doing that? Because of the relationship with that man right there that I love. I set myself apart. But it's the relationship that produces that. And so again... I can stand up here and say, hey, quit sleeping around, get right with your money, feel guilty about it, go home and come back next week. Or I can say this to you, communion with God is better than committing sin. A relationship with God is better than committing sin. A relationship, communion, intimacy with God, and God is holy is better than committing sin. To pray this prayer with authenticity, to pray this prayer with consistency, we need to see that holiness, God help me in holiness because holiness is relational. We also need to see this, that holiness and happiness are connected. Holiness and happiness are connected. You've heard, I think I even preached this early in my day and it was wrong and I apologize. We, we, we've, we've said, hey, you just got to be holy, not happy. And, and, and some of you are like, well, that doesn't sound like a good deal because there's a desire in all of us, atheists, non-Christians, everybody to be happy. It's God-given desire. And so we, we've, in the church, it's like, man, you got to be holy, got to be holy, but don't have to be happy. What we need to see is that holiness and happiness are linked and are connected 
that holiness and happiness are connected and that the form of happiness that God offers us is a lasting, enduring happiness. Remember what we read? It makes the heart glad. Intimacy with God makes the heart glad. We just said it. Communion with God is better than committing sin. Holiness and happiness are connected. Now, to say that to us, we in the 21st century have to unlearn something. Because for a lot of us have become passive about happiness. Happiness is something that sort of happens to us, right? We, we go, what do we do? We go sit down and let me see if something's on TV. Let me see if there, what's on the, you know, the top 10 of Netflix and see if watching that and binge watching Netflix will make me happy. Let me check out social media and maybe something cool, maybe something funny will be there. And we're sort of passive about happiness. Now, when I talk about holiness and happiness and God help me to be holy, being connected to your and my happiness, I'm talking about now we have to be active about happiness. We don't just sit around and wait. We pursue. We say, search me, God. We say, God, point out my hidden faults. We say, God, help me defeat, overcome, be delivered from my intentional sins because we have to be active in the pursuit of our happiness. Show you an example, all right? Here's my other son. Look how cool he looks, right? He's surfing, right? This is a new thing that you can kind of do on, uh, behind certain boats. He's surfing and he's happy. And we did sort of this on vacation. And, and, and so, but here's the thing. Here's what we don't see, okay? My, my whole family, we're skiers and all that kind of stuff. It's like an Evans family thing. So anything we can do with a board or something, we want to do it. And so you do it, you know, man, that looks fun. That, he looks happy. What you don't see is what it took to get him there, Okay. What you don't see is all the times that he fell or I missed, I didn't know how to drive the boat or, or whatever, or the time, you know, hey, I'll try again later. That's what we people don't see. So a lot of times we'll look at somebody who's happy and man, they, man they're, they've been married, they're happily married for 30 years. I want a marriage like that. Do you want to do what they did to get there? And, and if we're going to be happy with God and happy in God, we are going to have to put in the time that it takes to move and progress in holiness. There's a, there's a guy, his quote, his name is G.K. Chesterton. He says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found lacking or wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. So what happens is we're like, oh, God's going to, you know, God's this and God's that. And, you know, and we look and then we realize, man, this is hard. This requires discipline. This requires sacrifice. This requires, you know, self-denial. This requires this. And people just walk away, redefine God, make God relative, ignore certain commands of God. And we just stop or we settle or we move away from God. But what we need to understand is what Jesus promised and put some things together all right, so look what Jesus says. I've told you these things, my words to you. Remember, God reveals himself through his word so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let me say this with emphatic, uh, just passion. There's not a happier human being that walked the earth than Jesus Christ. He was never married. I don't know that those two things are related, okay? <laughs> uh, Paul, I mean... <laughs> Wasn't rich, didn't own a home, didn't have a car, didn't have likes on social media. In fact, he, he preached one sermon, everybody walked away but 12 people. And he died naked on a cross. Happiest person ever walk around. And, he's, and look what he says. Your joy may be complete too. Nothing lacking. Now we look at that, we're like, that's what I want, that's what I want. 
And then we look at 9.23, Luke 9.23. Anybody wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What well, was that? They go together. They go together. Being with Jesus makes it worth the denial worth it, and that is the path to complete joy. Holiness and happiness are connected. So see, the highest and greatest and most enduring happiness, enjoying God forever, takes discipline, but it is discipline born from devotion. So, so listen, every week, every other week, we're going to get up here and we're going to encourage you, hey, be in a small group, be in the Word of God, pray. We're going to encourage quit doing, start doing. You're going to hear all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. If there's no devotion, eventually discipline gets old. Eventually, it's like, man, I don't feel like it anymore. But if we're devoted and we see that happiness in God is the greatest, highest, and longest lasting form of happiness that our hearts can possibly ever experience forever and ever, then discipline brings about devotion. Or devotion brings, rather, excuse me, devotion brings about discipline. So I, you, you're sitting here, I, I know I need to take that seriously, Matt. I know I need to deal with this in my life. I know I need to start reading. I know I need to start this. I know I need to stop that. I, I just can't get there. I can't get there. Then focus on devotion. Focus on devotion. Focus on devotion. And then the final thing we need to see to pray this prayer with consistency and pray this prayer with authenticity is this. Holiness is not God wait, watching and waiting on us. Okay but rather his, is part of his work and plan for us. It's his calling. So, so listen, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you hadn't even started. I mean, you just started and walked backwards or, Matt, I, Matt, Matt, I used to be, but now I'm, and wherever you are, let me tell you something. God is not in love with you 2.0. God is in love with you. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us period. Okay. So God is not waiting for you and all right, God, I'm gonna pursue holiness. He's wooing us. He's working. He's trying to show you himself and invite you into that relationship to raise your affections and your devotion. So you will then say, okay, God, help me in holiness. Okay, God, search me, see what's offensive, see what's wrong, and just move me closer to you because closer to you is where I belong. So if you're here today and you're like, okay, all right, I want to pray that prayer. I want to move in that direction. It feels dangerous at first, but now I'm seeing. That's the path of my future. What would I say? Here's what I would say. Begin with where you are. Don't begin with where you're not. Too many people try to begin whether they're not. Well, I'm not, I'm not. Just begin with where you are. It's like the Chinese, Chinese proverb says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So just start where you are. Start where you are. Remember this. It's a process. It's a process. Remember, remember my black sock? So I started at the Naval Academy, about 30 people in my company. We were in the same year group. And that, that fateful day in that summer of 93, every room failed that inspection. Okay? Some of the people in those rooms have gone on to 20-plus years of service to our country. One of them, distinguished special warfare officer, a Navy, uh, a Navy SEAL. So it's a process. 
right? Yeah, it may come back, the, sh- the shower, but it, the shower is part of a bigger process. It's a process. I, you know, I, I, I preach less during the summer, and it's not all vacation. Some of it's worth my reflection time and holiness time. And I, I did an exercise just yesterday, so humbling. And uh, it asked you, uh, me to reflect on certain areas of my relationship with God, my walk with God. And it said, you know, and then it described the answers that you got. And you were either spiritual child, infant, spiritual adolescent, or a spiritual ma- ma- adult. It's kind of how it described it. And there was a couple of areas where it rated me as a spiritual adolescent. I've been walking with Jesus since I'm eight years old, right? But what, what does that tell It's a process. It's not, it's not perfection. It's direction. Okay, so, so if you're looking for a perfect church or you, you think you're perfect, you probably don't need to come back next week, and I've never said that in 20 years. Okay, because we're, here, we're all imperfect, but moving closer to a perfect God. Third thing, be specific with the sin. Okay, be specific with the sin. Specific as you can get. So it's easy, it's safe to say, oh God, forgive me for my sins. It's dangerous and revealing to say, God, I am greedy. I think the money is my money. It's dangerous to say, God, my tongue is full of spite. God, my attitude is bitter and cynical. But be specific with the sin. because, And let me tell you why that's important. One, because God's not going to overwhelm us with, hey, here's the 27,000 things wrong with you today, Matt Evans. You know, you know, in any given time in my life, when I go back in my journal, there's one or two areas that God's really speaking to me about. I know there's more. Forgive my hidden faults, right? Forgive my unintentional stuff that I'm not even aware of yet. And God's like, Matt, if I made you aware of all of them, it'd probably break you, <laughs> you know? So, there, so listen, be, so there's, that, that's one reason. The second reason is this. Satan sounds like this. You're terrible and you're worthless and look at all the bad things you've done. God sounds like this. Hey, Matt, I love you too much to let you keep doing that with your tongue. Matt, I love you too much to keep, you know, that right there, Matt's keeping you and me from going to the next level of intimacy and your happiness in your soul. Matt, I love you too much. And it's so specific because God's like a coach pointing out, hey, let's get that right. Let's improve that. Sometimes he's got to yell. Sometimes he's got to put his arm around us. But he's always speaking specifically. Now, when it's specific, we've got to be specific with the sin, but we also have to be decisive. And this is another dangerous part of the prayer. And decisive means, okay, God, I am not compromising. I am committed to dealing with this sin. I'm committed to being delivered from this. And we're decisive. Like Joshua, big invitation from Joshua. He's about to die. Final farewell speech. He says, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. You hear, worship him, vision of who God is. He's worth it, right? Invitation to relationship. Get rid of the gods of your ancestors that were worshiped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and worship the Lord. Look what he says. If it doesn't please you to worship God, now that you see and know who God is, now that you see him in holiness and worthiness, hey, if it doesn't please you, if your devotion's not there, then you choose for yourself who you're going to serve, who you're going to worship, which one you'll worship. You choose. 
But as for me and my family, we'll worship the Lord. We'll worship the Lord. So be specific, but we have to be decisive. We have to be decisive. And then finally this, remember, who you're becoming affects where you're going. Who you're becoming affects where you're going. David said it this way, lead me in the everlasting way. David said it this way, God, may I be fully pleasing to you. And, and listen, listen, I, I have this phrase. You've heard me say it a thousand times during this, this crazy season. The best is yet to come. One of the reasons we can pray the best is yet to come is not because we know what's going to happen tomorrow in this area or that area. It's not because we're guaranteed a life of free, of, of free from suffering. The reason we can say the best is yet to come is when we can say, God, I want to become who you created me to be and who you died for me to become. And when we walk with God down that path, when we walk with God down that path, we're moving in the everlasting way. We're moving toward the best is yet to come because the best thing there is, the best thing there was, and the best thing there ever will be is communion with a holy God. So I just want to pray this over us all and we'll close. You can bow your heads. You can read these words with me on the screen, however you need to do this. Here it is. God, who perceives his unintentional sins, cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, God, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing, be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May God truly dwell in your hearts right now as you see him in holiness, as you hear his invitation to communion, and as your devotion to him deepens to produce the discipline, to pray the dangerous prayer, and to pursue holiness. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for loving us most. Thank you that you'll love us forever. And it is our privilege to enjoy you forever and to love you back. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.